Hey, welcome to the podcast of C3 Los Angeles. I'm Jake Sweetman, and together with my wife, Nicole, we lead this church. We're glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're tuning in from, that you are encouraged and strengthened by this word. Here's today's message. This message is probably a four or five week message. I'm going to try to jam it in the, t- the little time that we have. Um, it's something that I've been working on, yeah, for, geez, probably 15 years. Um, and so um, I'm still kind of working out the kinks, and I'm kind of practicing on you today, if that's okay. Um, but if you're ever in ministry, you or, you know, you, on a platform, um, the, the terrible thing about being on a platform is that you're working out your salvation in front of other people. Um, you know what I mean? So I'm just, I'm continuing my education in public, so to speak. Um, so if you don't like this, then just email Jake Sweetman, okay? At, at C3LA, okay? Here, it is what it is. So the, the title of, of this talk this morning is, What is God Like? What is God Like? And I suppose we probably, uh, many people have different ideas of what God is like. The scriptures are God's self-revelation. And so the idea simply being that we should read the scriptures and, then find, and thus find out what God is like. But sometimes we can be picky and choosy about which versions of God we like in scripture. Um, and, you know, like Satan quoted scripture. Right, like out of context, and then Jesus would just return volley with scripture in context. Do you know what I mean? So God's word in context is God's word. Um, but uh, I, I want to do three things. So if you're a bit of a Bible nerd this morning, I'm just going to give you kind of three uh, hermeneutic or biblically interpretive thoughts so that you can see kind of what I'm doing uh, with the sermon, okay? So the first thought is that I don't want to ignore hard passages of Scripture. So, so I'm going to read real, some really hard passages of Scripture, and we're going to stumble through them, and we're going to try to come up with a theology at the end, at the end of them, okay? So number one. Number two, I'm, I want to be unafraid of the tensions in Scripture. Um, Unafraid of the paradoxes. An old professor of mine used to say that all truth is intention. All truth is intention. It's like, it's like the ropes, uh, you know, holding up a pup tent. You know, it's like they're pulling this way, pulling that way, and it keeps the whole thing up. Um, so, all truth is intention. So, there's some tensions in Scripture that that sometimes we tend to just be dismissive of because we don't realize the paradoxical nature of truth. That two things can at once be this be true. Are you following me? Okay. Um, so that, this, that's what I'm, I'm going to try to do. Okay. If, if, you know, if, if halfway through this you're going, man, this is getting dark. And for a moment it will get dark. Um, <laughs> I, I, think that, I think that our generation wants to look at passages like this. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe, maybe my parents weren't into it. You know, but like I think that we want to like, look at the darkness and go, I've seen the darkness. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, it's like my wife and, and horror films. I don't know why she does it, but she needs to see the darkness. Um, so unafraid of tensions is the second one. And then the third idea is when narrative uh, is theology. So typically you're not supposed to create doctrine from narrative unless there is clear teaching in Scripture that illustrates that those narratives were proving a point. And that's what we're going <laughs> to, the very end of all of the passages, I'm going to show you clear apostolic teaching that these narratives, in fact, do carry weight. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. 
Some of that might have passed over your head, but that's okay. All right, so we have a ton of scripture to read, so let's start with John 4.24. John 4.24, I'm, I'm reading in the ESV. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. What Jesus means by spirit is not that God is a bodiless wraith. You know what I mean? So we have to be careful to not think in Greek, in Greek Neoplatonic terms, but in Christian terms. And the Christian term here is not that God is a disembodied spirit. It's just that God is qualitatively other than your experience that you're having right now. You know what I mean? So you are a spirit, and, you have, and, and, and you're a body, right? Like, it's it, psychosomatic union, fully integrated. That's what the human thing is, right? In the new heavens and the new earth, you are going to be, you are continuing to be a spirit in a body. Does that make sense? God's not abandoning bodies. He's into bodies, right? But God is not made up of, like, we exist in time, space, matter, okay? And in quantum physics, they, they, those, all three of those things have to exist together, right? Like, at the Big Bang, they all, boom, time, space, matter, boom, they existed. So, <laughs> God is the Big Banger. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's the guy who, like, started, like, the whole thing. And the idea is that whatever <laughs> or whoever created the Big Bang, who created time, space, matter, has to exist outside of those things. It's something other than. Does that make sense? God is qualitatively other, and that's what Jesus is saying. God is spirit. He's like this qualitative other. And so we need to have a relationship, some um, eternal, immeasurable, invisible part of us has to connect to that qualitatively other. So that's spirit. He's looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And the truth part is really important to understand. In that, God wants me to know him accurately. You hearing me? Like, there's so many Christians who, who really, they're Buddhists. Right? Like, like, it's like it's, it's, spirituality is all about them, and it's carte blanche, and they're having, they want a spiritual experience, but they don't want to know God accurately. You hearing me? And so Jesus is insisting, hey, I want you to, yes, it's a spiritual experience. It's something that's just, it, dude, it's crazy. It's, you're connecting to the divine that is qualitatively other, right? But the, this qualitatively other person, you can't know him unless he steps into time, space, matter and reveals himself in scripture, right? So in that way, I can know God accurately. I can't know God exhaustively. Dude, in eternity, in heaven, you think you're going to look at God and go, I get it. Do you know what I'm saying, right? Like, he's, it's, he's gonna, it's gonna blow your mind forever and ever and ever. I can't know God exhaustively, not now and not in eternity, but I can know him accurately because he has stepped into time, space, and matter and revealed himself. So the scriptures are my chance to know him in spirit and in truth. I can have an encounter with him in spirit and I can know him the way that he wants me to be known, or wants to be known, rather. You tracking with me? Okay, just a bit of a, a foundation uh, there as we move forward. Revelations 4.8. So God is spirit. Revelation 4.8, God is holy. This is crazy. And the fourth, this is in the book of Revelation, right? This is the, in the New Testament, okay, this is, the last, this is like the last book, if, you, if, you, if you've read it. It's a, it's a, this is definitely looking into the dark, you know, like... And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night, they never cease to say. So these attendants at the throne of God, day and night, never cease to call God this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. 
So if there's one word to describe this being, the big banger, the dude that started everything, it's holy. Holy, holy. It's not love, love, love. It's not provider, provider, provider. You hearing me? God is, is holy, holy, holy. That is how he is known to the beings that are alive because of him and are in relationship because of him. This is his primary attribute. He is holy, holy, holy. There's a New Testament. Now, in the, in, the, in the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, over 400 times God is called holy. And most of the Old Testament is just God preparing people to be in relationship with him. And there's, he's basically reading out his rider because he's, he's, he's holy and he's a consuming fire and, and you can't come too close because... Now, God's holiness is his absolute moral perfection. That's what his holiness has to do with. It's his absolute moral perfection. He's, he's perfect. He's sinless. And he's this purifying, consuming fire. The book of Hebrews calls him this, right? New Testament, by the way. Quoting a lot of New Testament here so that we don't have that good cop, bad cop thing in our heads where, you know, oh, holy, yeah, that's just the Old Testament. No, it's the New Testament. You hear me? Okay, so we have, we have God's absolute moral perfection. Now, let's go to the next verse, okay? The great relief, 1 John 4, 8. God is love, okay? Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So, yes, in one passage in the entire Bible, God is called love. And that does not negate how loving he is. In fact, when you read the Psalms, which are in the Old Testament, David has this revelation that, God, you are, you are so merciful and you're kind and you're slow to anger and you're abounding in mercy and you remove my sins from me. You don't deal with me according to my sins, right? As far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed my transgressions from me, right? You know, Jeremiah, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're endless. They're new every morning. So God is, yes, he is love. But his love flows from his absolute moral perfection, his holiness. You hear me? Which is his, his main attribute, right? It's flowing from an absolute moral perfection. How does that work? Well, he's constantly willing the good. So, so of, his holiness makes him loving. You hearing me? It's pretty cool stuff. Now, we're continuing in this theme of what is God like, um, You aren't, your, you aren't your Enneagram, okay? You aren't your Enneagram number. Listen. <laughs> you, you aren't your Myers-Briggs evaluation. You know what I mean? Elements of these things are true, okay? Um, but, yeah, you're, you're not your, Din your Disney princess result <laughs> that you took on Facebook, you know, six years ago. You hear me? You're right. Like, <laughs> um, you aren't your birth order. You know, like, there, are, there is value in psychometrics, okay? I like psychometrics. I think that they're pretty cool. They do tell me about my propensities, my proclivities. They do tell me about my ego, 
and how I'm trying to protect myself in the world, you know, uh, uh, because of the various stage of, of, of wounding and child trauma. Those, okay, I, I'm cool with all of those things. You hear me? But the truth about you, if you want to know the truth about you, the truth about you is your passion. The, 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 the word passion is a Latin word, and it means to suffer. You are, you are what you're willing to suffer for. That is, if you're wondering, like, who am I? It's, it, you are what you are willing to suffer for. That's the truth. You hear me? That's the truth about you. Now, when we look at God, it's the exact same thing. God is what he was willing to suffer for. Right? When you look, the cross is such, such a beautiful paradox because it puts like kind of the Old Testament and New Testament perfectly together. And you see who God is on the cross. On the cross, God suffered for his holiness and he suffered for his love. Right? Perfectly. He's like, I will suffer. I will take, he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God, right? Like, he, he's, he's sinless, but he couldn't violate his holiness. He could not violate his holiness. And so the whole sacrificial system is, is and then leading up to the cross, Jesus becomes the once and for all unique sacrifice to satisfy his own holiness because he has to be morally good and we need him to be absolutely morally good. I have to be in a relationship with a holy God who's constantly willing the best of me. And so he took one for the team and said, I will suffer so that I can be in a relationship with you and not violate my own holiness. That is so sick. And we know that you know, God demonstrates his love that while we were yet sinners, in, on your worst day before you even responded back to him, Right? That's the beautiful thing about God is like love is actually initiation. God is so loving that he doesn't wait for you to love him back. That is amazing. <laughs> he dies for the ungodly. Right? So who, so who is God? What is God like? Well, he suffered for his holiness and he suffered for his love. And I see these themes in scripture. And that is the tension that we as Christians we have to wrestle with. We have to come to terms with. I serve a God who's loving, but I serve a God who's holy. I serve a God who's holy, but I serve a God who's loving. And can we live as adults in that tension? You hearing me? That's what God calls us to. You want to know me accurately? Great. You have to hold these two truths in tension. We often dismiss these paradoxes because we're like my niece, Georgie. She's three. I'm in, I'm in love with her. I'm obsessed with her. I FaceTime her all the time. And her, her older sibling, Frankie, as well. Frankie's kind of filled with demons. <laughs> and Georgie, Georgie is like totally disconnected to reality. It's wonderful. And um, Georgie doesn't care to know me accurately. She's the center of the universe. And... She, I am whatever she thinks I am that day. You know what I mean? Like, she's after chocolate and dresses that swirl. It's hilarious. I was FaceTiming her two days ago, and she started to freak out. She was trying on all these dresses. So it was my mom and my sister and Georgie. And Georgie's, they're putting all these dresses that I bought for her. And when she puts a dress on, she'll get up and she'll put it on, and she'll be like, 
And if it doesn't swirl right, she will lose her mind. Her dresses have to swirl. Okay? Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, she, she wants, and she loves chocolate. She loves uh, donuts, chocolate. And I'm the uncle that, for all she knows, I'm Willy Wonka. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I'm just, <laughs> we, were at a family, we were at a family barbecue. I think it was, uh, when was it? Oh, Easter. Okay, so Easter in Palm Springs, and, you know, we're all hanging out. And, and so we're going hard in the paint, you know, with all the, the chocolate and all that. And I went to Krispy Kreme, and I got 12 Krispy Kreme donuts and, you know, sprinkles for the girls, pink with sprinkles, right? And I bring them over, and my brother-in-law's freaking out. He's like, why are you doing this to me? You know, like, this is horrible. And I'm like, just, it's Easter. Calm down. Jesus died for this. Um, and so, so I gave Georgie, you know, a donut, and he's like, that's it. They, they, they can't have any more. Like, it's insane. They got cho- chocolate at church. They can't have any more donuts. But, like, I just, I live vicariously through Georgie, and I, her love for chocolate, she calls it gakwe and donuts. And so I got this donut for her, and we, we went out by the pool, and I'm like, I snuck you a donut, you know? And, and so she's eating it. Thanks, Uncle Nate. <laughs> She's eating it. And then she goes inside, and I'm like, Georgie, don't, like, shh, don't tell anybody, okay? She goes inside, and in front of our whole family, she's like, that was a good donut, Uncle Nate. <laughs> totally blew my cover. Um, she doesn't care to know me, to protect me. Do you know what I mean? She just wants to get what she wants. She's the center of the universe. I have no relationship with this person. Do you know what I mean? Because she's three and she's the center of the universe and I'm, I'm concerned that there are many Christians like this. And, and, and once again, I'd call them Christian Buddhists. You have no interest in getting to know God and what he's like. You just, you, you want, does it swirl? Does it, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and when, and when it doesn't swirl, you lose your mind online. You hear me? <laughs> you're saying, wow, because you're see, you see this. Right? Like, <laughs> I want to know God truly. I don't want to know him in my... In, you know, He's, he's stepped out of time and space and matter to reveal himself. And, Jesus, and the Father's looking. This is what Jesus told us. He's looking for somebody who will connect with him in spirit. But truthfully, man, I want to be known for who I am. Stop projecting onto me. Stop telling me who I am. What You, you so care about authenticity, but you won't afford me the same courtesy? You hearing me? It's a little rich coming from a generation who's so into like self-authoring, and they don't afford God that, right? So what happens? What happens when we <laughs> when we're worshiping like Georgie? Like, is there something? Is there? Do we risk anything? I'm going there. Okay, so watch these passages. These passages are meant to, once again, hold the tensions here. God is love. He's merciful. He's kind. He's patient. Hello. Right? Aren't you thankful for the mercy and the grace and the kindness? And he's long-suffering, and he's, he's always looking at his watch and going, I love you. Oh, my gosh. Can you be better? You know, like. <laughs> but he's holy. And so here we go. 
Let's look, look into the darkness. Genesis 4, 3 to 8. Genesis 4, 3 to 8. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Um, next verse. There we go. And Abel also brought uh, of, the, of the firstborn. Okay, so there's the difference. It's not that God pre- prefers lambs to vegetables. You know, that God is a meat eater. The difference was that Cain brought some, Abel brought his best, the firstborn, right, of his flock, and of their fat portions, right? So the, the ancient Near East reader is going, oh, the fat portions, like the, the, the good stuff, right? And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Okay, so failure at the altar, death in the field. First altar that we read of in Scripture. A, a, a sacrifice is rejected. You seeing this? And Cain's feeling rejected, and then there's a break, a break in relationship with others. Not just, not just with God, because God's like, I don't need your tip. I'm God. Don't tip me. Give me what I've asked for. His, his worship wasn't acceptable because it wasn't what God had asked for. Right? Like, dude, I'm not, like, I'm looking for a relationship, and I'm looking for somebody whose heart is in this. I'm looking for integration. Is your worship fully integrated? Or are you just like, it doesn't spin. Where's a donut? And I mean, here's something. I don't know. All right, let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. Old Testament, okay? But hold your reservations till the end as we get to the New Testament. When it gets really dark. Okay, uh, Le- <laughs> Leviticus 10. Leviticus 10, 1 to 2. Now, Adab and Abihu, these are brothers, the sons of Aaron. Uh, they've just been appointed to the priesthood. The, the blood that like, ordained them is just drying on their ears and their thumbs and their big toe, which was part of the cultic ritual. Um, this is their first day on the job, okay? The sons of Aaron, they each took uh, his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. Some versions call it strange fire, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Just boom. Roasted. Barbecue. You know what I mean? What's, what, what are we having today? Human barbecue, you know? So what's the point here? The point is... You're a priest, it's a death at an altar, right? It's a worship service, and you, you're offering something that God's going, don't want it, didn't ask for it, it's an unacceptable sacrifice, don't want it, not interested. And I'm going to have to teach Israel, at your expense, that I will be worshipped and revered and honored the way that I ask for, because I'm a person and I have preferences. You hear me? Okay, sobering, right? Okay, let's keep, keep going. Let's keep going. It gets worse. Okay. Um, 2 Samuel 6, 5 to 7. 
Remember David, right? We have his discography, and he's super into worship. Guy's fantastic at it, and he's written lots of songs. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and, and castanets and cymbals, and they're throwing a party. This is Davidic, man. There's worship, right? Best of intentions, worshiping beautifully. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nason, Nacon, whatever we're going to call that, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Uzzah is a priest, and he knows that you're not supposed to put the ark on a cart with two oxen. It's supposed to be carried by the Levites. And every, like, seven steps, you're supposed to, like, sacrifice, okay? But Uzzah is a priest. He should know better. He does know better because he's got the Mosaic revelation, like the order of service that God is going, this is how you'll honor me. This is what, you know, I'll show up to these events, right? So God shows up to this event, but Uzzah dies. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God, death at a worship service. Okay, next, next passage, and let's, let's take, take a look at this here. Next passage. Then David summoned, this is, this is a, ch- a couple chapters later, David summoned the priests, Zadok and Abiathar and the Levites, Uri- uh, Uriel and Asiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel, and Aminadab. Pretty, pretty impressive. Okay. And said to them, you are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, you and your brothers, so that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that he has prepared for it or that I have prepared for it. Because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not seek him according to the rule. We didn't inquire after him. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the, of, of the Lord, the God of Israel. Okay, so they do it this, this, this right time. And the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles as Moses had commanded them according to the word of the Lord. Right? God is the best worship leader out there. He's like, hey, I want relationship. I want to bless you. I want to be a part of what you're doing. But there's ways that I want to be honored, and there's ways that I don't want to be honored. You hear me? Are you seeing this pattern in Old Testament? Yeah, okay? Okay, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Next passage here. Um, this is Samuel, and this is just sort of to, 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 as a context and a backdrop to the passages that we just read. Has the Lord... As great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Right? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen than the fat of rams. Right? So do what I'm asking. You know, marriage is kind of like this at times. You know, like your wife, your wife or your spouse is going, hey, this is what I want. And you go, well, I got you this. And it's like, yeah, didn't ask for that, did I? Zero points, couch. <laughs> right? That's, that's how relationships work. You want to be in a relationship with God? Yeah. I mean, you hear me? Okay, let's keep going. Let's keep going. It gets better. No, it gets worse, actually. But when he was strong, this is uh, one of Judah's best kings. He was a great, great king. His name was Uzziah. This is the Uzziah that... In the year that Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord. Little backdrop, Uzziah dies because he presumes upon the presence of God. He gets filled with pride. When he got strong, he grew proud to his destruction. 
For he was unfaithful to the Lord, his God, and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Bro, what are you doing? It's not your job. You know what I mean? Like, stay in your lane. You're the king. You're doing great. But, you know, the guy's just so, so much hubris and so much arrogance that he presumes, assumes, and speculates on the job of the priesthood. But when he was strong, he grew about, next one, yeah, boom. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and when he became angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead, and they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. Yeah, no kidding. You know what I mean? Mucho bummer indeed. Right? Death at an altar. Now, it is in Isaiah, when you read you know, the, you know, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah's prophecies, in the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And what's really cool is Uzziah was the, you know, the king with all the pride, and he dies at the altar. Isaiah, when he sees the Lord, he hits the deck, and he, and, and, um, the Lord's like, you know, who will go for me? I need a messenger. And, you know, what about you, Isaiah? And he's like, nope, I'm not going to be your messenger. I am a man of unclean lips, of an unclean people. Right? So immediately he's going, God, I'm no, no. He's beating his chest going, not me. And in that moment of confession, admitting, you know, that, yeah, I'm not perfect. I, I, need, I need your cleansing. An angel takes a coal from the altar and cleanses lips. Reverse, right? Total opposite of the Uzziah issue. Okay, let's keep moving. Uh, we're in the New Testament now. So you're like, oh, nope. It's not like that. <laughs> this is fun. Acts chapter 5. Uh, a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself. So they did this together. Some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? One second. It's interesting to note that after Judas took the cup, Satan entered his heart. Do you remember the Last Supper? Right? He takes the cup. It's a cup of blessing, as we're going to see in a moment. But he drank judgment on himself because he was drinking it like he was the center of the universe. Right? Drinking it with arrogance. Drinking it with other plans. Absolutely no respect, no honor for God whatsoever. And Satan enters his heart. Right? So worship can have a devastating effect on people who think that they're the center of the universe. And that's what we're going to see in our last passage. Ananias, right? And so basically, long story short, they die. Okay? Both of them. They both drop dead. The, the, the husband and the wife. This is New Testament. These are Christians. You know, you lied to the Holy Spirit. They, the Holy Spirit is known to them. Most, most scholars believe that Ananias and Sapphira, they're, they're not people who aren't Christian. No, they're people who are Christians. And people, and they note, I think that this is the discipline of the Lord because God disciplines those that he loves. So it's not that they, they, like, they went to hell. It's that God's like, 
I'm disciplining you. So come home, have a think. You know what I'm saying? Okay, last passage. Okay, it's about to get good, okay? I promise you. I'm not going to leave you hanging. You're like, I'm never coming to church again. (laughs) The Corinthians, um, I think the last time I was here, I talked about the Corinthian church. And yes, the Corinthian church was a dumpster fire. Their church was so bad that when they'd have church, it was worse. People just felt worse, right? Which is amazing. And there was a ton of disorder, but the scariest disorder in the Corinthian church was around the table of the Lord. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. So what would happen back in the day is they'd have a love feast, okay? A love feast was just a potluck dinner. And then at the end of the potluck, they'd take the bread and the wine, and they would celebrate, you know, and remember the Lord's death and resurrection. Several chapters earlier, Paul calls the cup the cup of blessing. Like, so when I take communion, I'm not thinking to myself, oh, I'm just going to remember these are elements, right? The idea behind communion is that you're drinking blessing and you're drinking grace into your life, right? It's mystical. It's the cup of blessing, of course, right? It's a, like, all the, think of all the benefits and the blessing of being in relationship with God, right? And you're drinking those things and you're eating those things spiritually and as we're about to see physically. It's full integration in the same way that worship is. So mystically, so what would happen is they would have the, the cup They'd drink and they'd eat, and then the Holy Spirit would show up, and the gifts began to operate, and people began to prophesy over one another and minister to one another, and then they'd have teaching time at the end of their service, and then they'd be done. Okay, so that's that's how the early church did church. Um, Now, in these cultures, when they'd have a potluck, rich people, and this is how they did it everywhere else outside of church, rich people would show up, and they'd bring the wine, and they'd bring the meat and all that, and the rich people would eat first, But what's happening in Corinth is that these rich Christians are eating everything and drinking all the wine and getting hammered, and there's nothing left for the poor. They're making church all about themselves. That is terrifying. What is an application for me today? That, That, you know, as a traveling speaker... I make church all about myself. What can I get from people? That would be eating of the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner. If I was to see you as just a way to get money from you. You hear me? What is an application for you today? That perhaps we, we come in and, you know, what, it's all about me. You know what I mean? Like, oh, what can I get? Instead of going, I'm here for you, Lord. Lord, I'm here to minister to you. I'm a priest. I'm called to minister to the Lord. I'm not called to... you know, to make it swirl and find donuts and pretend that you're whoever you're not. No, I'm here to worship you the way that you are, to to worship in spirit and in truth. You hearing me? And Lord, if there's things that are said from the pulpit and from your word that correct me and challenge me and and place me and recenter Jesus and take me out, then so let it, then let it be. There's this, there's this, um, in, in the, in the Catholic church, when they take communion, there's this, this beautiful moment where they, they say this passage of Scripture, and, they, and it's a passage where this man says to Jesus, like, Lord, 
The whole church says it together. I love it. Um, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter my house. Only say the word and your servant will be healed. The whole Catholic church says that when they take communion. It's so powerful. Because what it's doing is going, Lord, I'm I'm not worthy that you should enter my... God, I'm, I'm a sinner. Right? You're affirming the reality of who you are. You are decentering yourself and centering Jesus Christ and your need for him. You hearing me? So, <laughs> church, worship, the presence of God is for sinners. It's, it's not for perfect people. Right? It's for people that are broken. If you're broken, you're in the right place. You hearing me? You know, so, 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 so many times, people have preached this message. You know, so examine yourself. As, the, as Paul goes on to say. So examine yourself. Like, don't drink judgment. Actually, we're going to finish the verse. Let's finish the verse. Let's finish this verse here. Um, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? You know what I mean? Like, what are you doing? Like, you want to get drunk? Go get drunk at home. Okay? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? It's all about you. And it's not about God. And it's not, it's not about him and his. Actually, it's all about him and his. And you're, you're Georgia, you're three years old, and that's cute when you're a baby Christian. And you can do that, and God is super patient, he's super kind, right? But the, the goal here is maturity, right? Now, here's the deal. This is what's crazy. What shall I say to you, Paul says? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. <laughs> next, one, next passage. He says this, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. In the actual Greek it says fell asleep. In the entire New Testament and the Septuagint, fell asleep means died. Okay, so death at the altar in a New Testament church. There's people, you're drinking judgment. Because, you're hearing me. We get the picture, right? God is holy, but God is love. Now, what do we, where do we go from here? Okay. Don't be afraid of God. Fear God. Don't be afraid. You have no reason to be afraid of him. There's no, there's no reason to be afraid. There's no reason to be concerned. Where's the band? They can come back up. There's absolutely, you can be, you can be at rest in the presence of the Lord. You hear me? But it's not smart to come in and make things constantly all about yourself and reject God's self-revelation. This is, like, church... Church is not a safe place for people who will center themselves and center their philosophies. It's a dangerous place. That's, I, you know, I just, I just showed you Old Testament to New Testament. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 verifies all of those old narratives. It's going, hey, this isn't, this isn't safe. But it's like a fire. A fire is not safe for people who don't respect it. But a fire is so good for people that respect it. God is a consuming fire. So if, if you can understand that, then you're, you're, it's going to be life. It's going to be blessing. It's going to be joy. You're going to get great. You're going to be forget. There's, there's no end to his mercies. 
You hear me? So, so then that, that's such a, a great transaction. But if you just, if there's no respect and you're the center and it's all about you, you're not treating the fire the way it should be treated. You hear me? You're going to get burned. Now, in this moment, look, once again, in the book of Hebrews, it just says, hey, you know, worship with reverence. If, you, if you're offering to God sacrifices and you're, you, you, you know, you're worshiping and you're worshiping with reverence, just going, Lord, I, I'm, I'm not going to project on you anymore. So forgive me for that. That's worshiping with reverence. Perhaps you've been that way. Perhaps it's been all about you and you've, you've rejected the word of God. It's God's self-revelation. And, and what you've been doing is you've been, right, it's been, it's been Christian Buddhism. And you're going, I'm going to pick and choose which things I believe about Jesus, right? And then I'm just going to come to, 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 to church and it's sort of moral therapeutic, you know, uh, deism. You know, it's just therapy. It's like getting a massage. You know what I mean? And Joe nailed it. God is a chiropractor. He's not here to make you feel good. He's here to align you. You know what I mean? So that you can walk in all of the things that he has for you. Right? But, you, but if you've been doing that, then just this, this is just a moment for you to repent and tell the Lord, I'm sorry for doing that. And Lord, I, please cleanse me of that, God. Lord, please let my eyes return to Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of, the, of my faith. He began the good work in me, and he's going to finish the good work in me. And so, Lord, I'm just, I'm, please forgive me, God. I repent of that. I, I don't want to be that way. I, I want to honor you and give you reverence and, and fear you the way that, I, not that I'm scared of you, but that I, I fear you in the way that I ought to. Why don't you stand with me? I want to pray for you this morning. And then we're going we're gonna to worship. Father, I thank you for every heart here. And Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that when we open your word, there's shedding of light, like the light comes into our world. And God, we don't want to walk around in ignorance. Okay, we don't want to be walking around in ignorance and everything is all about us. But we want to walk around in, in, in the light of your word, in the light of the gospel. God, thank you that you're merciful and you're kind and you're loving and you're patient with us. You know, and your anger is but for a moment, but your favor is a lifetime. Lord, we thank you that we serve a God of love who suffered for us. But Lord, I ask you that just a healthy, beautiful reverence for your presence and a respect for your word and an earnest desire to know you as who you are would begin to arise in us. Lord, we thank you that you're not, you're not seeking perfection. <laughs> if you were, nobody would be in your presence. You're just looking for people who love you as who you are. And so, Lord, if we've been guilty of any of these things, we repent today. And we just say, Lord, we're changing our minds. And we agree with you. We agree with your word. We repent. I'm, I'm, I'm changing the way I, I look at you, the way that I think about you, the way that I approach you. And Holy Spirit, would you bring these things to remembrance? Because we want, we want the warmth of your fire. We want the blessing of your cup. We need it. We're desperate. We're thirsty. We're hungry. God, we need your fire in our life. So would you bring that in a fresh way, Lord? We worship you, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the C3 Los Angeles podcast. If you found today's message helpful, we encourage you to share it with a friend and consider rating it. If you'd like more information about our church or details on how to get connected to a neighborhood group, 
head to c3losangeles.com. We love you. Thanks for tuning in with us.